right. Good morning, everybody. Merry Christmas. Nothing says Merry Christmas like a little Star Wars, right? I'm guessing I have your attention for now, right? So some of you going to your phones, and all of a sudden, the minute you hear that downbeat, you're, you're with me, right? You're, you're paying attention. There's something about that tune. You didn't even have to see anything. You just have to hear it, right? And you are locked in. There is something about that, but I'm guessing it's not the story that you thought it was going to be, right? A little bit different, which we'll get to in a little bit. What makes that intro so exciting? Every time that you hear that, no matter how many Star Wars movies you've seen or how many times you've rewatched them, maybe, what is it about that that just pulls us in? That, that we just automatically feel like we're being dropped into a story that is much larger than us. Star Wars has to start that way because every movie, you sort of just get dropped into the story and you wonder what's going on and it seems weird and, 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 and diverse and mystical and you don't know quite what's going on, kind of like the book of Revelation. It's almost like every time we see that, it's like a story that sort of just draws you in. I don't know if you've ever had this experience, whether it's Star Wars or any other movie or film that you just got engrossed in and you're sitting there in the movie theater maybe and you've been so focused on it that for a while, it feels like you've been transported from your own reality to a much bigger reality. Anybody ever had one of those moments where you just sit there and you get done with the movie and you have no idea what day it is or what time it is, right? You've just been so wrapped up into that because it feels like for maybe just a few hours, you're a part of something bigger than you. You're being invited into a story that has already been going on long before you got there. And it's not just Star Wars, but any story that's ever drawn you in is, is reminds you there's something bigger going on. There's something more going on than the, the piles of laundry or dirty dishes or bills that I have to pay at home. And there's something bigger than just the mundane tasks of ordinary life and going through the motions. There's something bigger going on and that somehow we're a part of it. And that maybe at some point in your life, maybe it's during a, a film you loved, or maybe it's maybe in, in worship where you've been caught up in something bigger than you, you felt that still small voice of the Holy Spirit inside of you whisper, there's got to be more to life than this. There's got to be more to life than this. And stories and films like this elicit that out of us. And what I want to propose to you today is that the reason that when you heard that music this morning of that trailer, the reason your heart skipped a beat has nothing to do with the composer John Williams or the Star Wars music. It's because you and I are living in a story that is much bigger than us, that has been going on long before we ever got here. And it is a story of beauty and adventure and romance and battle. And it is the oldest story of good versus evil and light versus darkness and happily ever after. And in the beginning, a long, long time ago, once upon a time. It's God's story. It's God's story. It's the meta-narrative, as scholars call it, the grand story that gives meaning and purpose to our smaller stories. The book of Ecclesiastes puts it this way. Let's read this together up on the screen nice and loud. He has also said eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Think about that for a second. God has literally written eternity into your soul, into the fabric of your being. And so we can argue all day long, oh, do I agree with this? And is everything in the Bible true? And what do I think about Jesus? And what's been my experience with the church and Christianity? It doesn't change the fact the way that you were created, the way that you were wired up is to know there's more. 
You were created by God with a longing to be a part of a bigger story. He has written eternity on the human heart. There's something way bigger than you going on. And hopefully you sense that as you heard the Revelation 7 passage read for us this morning. I don't quite understand everything that's going on there, but this story is not about me. I hope that you realize that. It is all about God. And there's angels in the throne room and they're worshiping him. And there's all these cr- creatures and beings. Clearly, the story is not about us. It's been going on long before we ever got there, and it's going to be going on long after we left. Revelation reminds us the story is not about you. So with all the Christmas love and cheer in your heart, turn to the person next to you and say, neighbor, it's not about you. Tell them that right now. It's not about you. It's not about you. Some of you that came with your spouse are like, I've been waiting a whole month to tell them that. So thank you very much. There's another reason why we're, um, <laughs> there's another reason why we're drawn into these stories the way that we are, whether it's Star Wars or any other one. Notice the title of Star Wars, Star Wars. The premise is that we live in a world at war. The whole plot of the movie is things are not as they should be. Light is battling darkness and good versus evil and there's pain and there's heartache and there's unmet longings and disappointment. I mean, does that remind you of any other story? <laughs> it's your life. It's, it's, it's my life. And ultimately, if you peel back the layers of the story of all these films of Star Wars, they're people that are in search of hope. I mean, remember how the first film, not, well, not the first, the original, number four, let's call it, okay? Help me, Obi-Wan. You're our only hope. It's a story that's predicated on people searching for hope, and it turns out that's our story as well. We are people filled with all sorts of hopes and, and, and desires and longings. Everybody say hope. I'm not talking about the church, I'm talking about a hope that lasts, but the thing is that's a loaded word. We use that word hope for a lot of different things. Some of you are saying, I hope I make it here on time this morning for the service. I hope I get my kids ready and so I don't get a speeding ticket on the way uh, in time. For those of you that are Cyclone or Hawkeye fans, you're saying we're hoping to get assigned to a great bowl game in a sunny and and warm location, although for Hawkeye fans, we go to a great bowl game every year, so it's it's not a big deal. Just call in reality for what it is. That's not, not an opinion. The truth is I don't really hope for that. That's just sort of wishful thinking or something I want to happen. Maybe you have some deeper hopes this morning. Talking about something a little bit deeper, your hope for that tension that's been between members of your family for years to maybe be resolved this Christmas season, that maybe you could live at peace with those in your household. Some of you are hoping for a positive diagnosis. Some of you are hoping this is the year that you don't have to be lonely anymore and you meet that special someone. Some of you I know have been hoping for a positive pregnancy test, for a job to pay the bills, to reconnect with spouse that you've just slowly drifted apart this year. The fact is we live in a world where it's easy to lose hope, isn't it? It's easy to lose hope. You talk about all of those internal and personal things that we struggle with. You couple that with a nation that's more divided than ever with war and death and pain and grief. If we're not careful, we can lose heart. Even as followers of Jesus, we can lose hope. Well, thankfully, the the book of Hebrews in chapter 12, the author reminds us, how do we not lose heart? He says this, fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer. Another translation says the author and perfecter of our faith so that you will not grow weary and what? Lose heart. How do we not lose heart in a world gone mad? How do we not lose hope 
in a world that seems to be getting worse and worse every single day. Two things. Number one, we remember who's writing our story. God himself, the pioneer, the author of our stories, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, is the one that has been and it will always be in control of the story. God's not freaking out about our country. He's in complete control. He has a longing. He has a longing for a divided nation to come back together, for people that don't know him to know him. But God's not freaking out. He's in control of the story. And secondly, we've got to remember how the story ends. Because when you know the end of the story, it changes everything. And that's where we find ourselves in Revelation today. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open those up to Revelation 7, conveniently located in the very back of your Bible, the very last book of the Bible. Revelation chapter 7, whether you got your Bible or your Bible app, go ahead and take out your phone to follow along with that. We're continuing this series that we started last week, and believe it or not, we have made it to the very end of our 12 books in 12 months. We've looked at a different book every month at all of our campuses here at Hope, and so finally we made it to the book of Revelation. Now some of you are like, John, it's two weeks from Christmas. Why aren't we talking about like Mary and Joseph and camels and donkeys and shepherds and things like that, right? Why in the world are we talking about the end of the world? Why are we talking about Revelation? Well, let's back up a second. These weeks leading up to Christmas, if you're not familiar with the church calendar and, and church traditions, which that's fine. A lot of you are not, and that's, that's fine. It's, it's the season of Advent, which literally comes from the Latin word adventus. Everybody say adventus. Literally means the coming or the arrival. And so these weeks leading up to Christmas, we remember, it's a season of remembering how God's people waited with hope for thousands of years for Jesus to come in flesh as the Messiah the first time. And so why are we looking at the book of Revelation? It's the story of Jesus' second coming, his return. And we wait with hope because we already have and God has already come through. So we wait for Jesus' return with expectation and with hope because God has already come through. He's already kept his promises. Sometimes I think it's really important for us to remember that Christianity isn't based on some naive, wishful thinking that everything is going to be okay someday. Christianity is based on actual events and an actual person named Jesus of Nazareth that came and died and rose again and made promises that have come true and that will come true about the end of time, that he's coming back to set everything right. And that's the point of the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation was written so that our present could be lived in light of the end of the story. Because when you know the end of the story, it changes everything. Think about it this way. A couple years ago, our, our six-year-old son, Caleb, when he was four a couple years ago, we, uh, we uh, introduced him to the Lion King uh, movie for the first time. So we thought, okay, we'll check this out. And so we watched it, and then we realized, you know, parents, can I get an amen? There's a difference between G and PG. Can I just get an amen from the crowd? Okay, gotcha. So we're kind of navigating our way through this movie, and like, okay, there's the beginning at the part. Sorry for the spoiler, but people, it's the Lion King. Too bad. Okay, so... Simba's dad, Mufasa, is, is trampled and, and is really scary, and he dies, and Simba's left all alone. It's like, oh, this is kind of scary. We're going to fast forward through this part. And you can kind of see it affecting Caleb for the first time. He knows something's wrong, even at age four. And we get to the end of the movie. He watches most of it, but then there's kind of the scary fight at the end where Simba and Scar are fighting, and, and Scar is kind of like the evil 
king and ruler, and he gets cast down into the fire, and Simba, the rightful king, comes and sets everything right, and everything is as it should be. Does that remind you of any other story, by the way? It's like all these stories are borrowing from the story and the story of God. You want a kid's version of the book of Revelation? Lion King, in many ways. But we fast forward through that part, and then I'll never forget a few weeks later, he says, I want to watch that lion movie again. And so we sit down to watch it, and I'm all ready. I've got the remote. I'm all ready to fast forward it through the part and the stampede and everything. And Kayla goes, no, Daddy, it's okay. And I'm like, are you sure? And he's like dead serious. Daddy, it's okay. I'm like, are you, are you serious? We did, this was kind of scary last time. And it, <laughs> with all seriousness and composure, he goes, Dad, I saw how the movie ends. It's okay. Right? And I'm like, okay, I just want to tease this out a little bit and see, kind of play off it a little bit. And I, so I say, Kayla, but... But what if daddy's a little scared about this part? It's, it's kind of scary and everything. He's like, dad, it's okay. You've seen the end of the movie. Like, with all seriousness. Welcome to the book of Revelation. It, everything changes when you know the end of the story. Not about a God who's angry and wants to destroy everything, but written so that we could live our present in light of eternity. And not just hope at the end, and I, I want you to see this, not just a light at the end of the tunnel that someday everything will be okay, and there's hope at the end of the story, but because Jesus Christ is living in you today, that the spirit of the living God is present with us today in whatever circumstance you find yourself in. Revelation does not tell us a story of a God who is just the light at the end of the tunnel, but the light that is right in the middle of your tunnel today in whatever you're up against today. We have hope today because we know how the movie ends. Revelation is a story of hope, but if you're like a lot of people, that's not the first thing that comes to mind when you hear Revelation, right? I think if you're like a lot of people, it's probably one of three common responses. For a lot of people, it's like just confusing, I'm not going to read the book of Revelation. I mean, I know it's in the Bible, but it's confusing. There's all these symbols and numbers and weird imagery. Or other people say, well, it's just, it's just kind of depressing. You know, as Pastor Richard kind of reminded us last week, he grew up with an understanding of a God who's angry and wants to just destroy everybody and destroy the earth, and it's filled with doom and gloom, even far cry from hope. Or maybe you're thinking, ah, Revelation, it's, it's kind of irrelevant, I mean, I, I, I can't control the end of the world, so why even care? Everything's just going to kind of happen the way it's supposed to, and it all kind of pan out in the end, so why even care? Well, the good news I have for you today is that Revelation is none of those three things. And we get a big clue as to what this hope in Revelation is all about right away in the first chapter. So Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. I put it up on the screen for you. Let's read that together. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. So in that first verse of the entire book, we learn a lot. First, we learn that the book is a revelation from Jesus about Jesus. So who's revelation about? Jesus. Who's it about? Okay, I want to make sure you're with me here today, right? The book is a revelation from Jesus about Jesus written through John. Now, some scholars will say that's the Apostle John that wrote the Gospel of John and 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. There's still some debate about that. But John is writing, and the word for revelation here in the Greek is apocalypsis. Everybody say apocalypsis. It's kind of a fun one to say. It's where we get the word apocalypse. And so some of you are like, oh, okay, there you are. Everybody knows the apocalypse is doom and gloom. It's the end of the world. When I hear that word, that's what comes to mind. It doesn't mean any of that. 
Apocalypsis literally means to uncover, to unveil. Revelation was written to bring clarity to the things that will take place, not more confusion. But the reason we get kind of tripped up with Revelation is that we think the entire Bible is written in one common genre, okay? A lot of the Bible's written in a kind of historical context, to be more of a, a historical commentary. Other parts of the Bible are written in, in poetry or, or prose. Others are written in more of a narrative form to tell one continuous story. Revelation is different. Revelation was written in the language of dreams. It's a dream and a vision that Jesus gives to John to share with us as the church. And so there's a lot of language of dreams and imagery. And that's where you get some of these symbols and numbers. And if you're not familiar with that, a lot of people will take those literally and say, well, that's exactly what it means. But you have to understand the context that John is writing to a group of people at a particular time, as much of the Bible is. It's kind of like when you're going to be sitting around with your family and telling stories and funny family stories and somebody tells a joke or a funny story from the past. And everybody's laughing and you're like, what? I wasn't there. And then somebody says, oh, I guess you had to be there, right? Very much in a similar way, we have to understand who John was writing to, why he was writing it, to understand some of the symbols and imagery that take place in Revelation. So a few fast facts about the book of Revelation. Just to remind us, it was written as a letter, an actual letter to seven real churches in Asia Minor. So John is writing to these churches to encourage them, to challenge them, to real people facing real circumstances. People who were facing many times persecution for their faith. Some of them had grown complacent as the church, and some of them were being kind of tempted to assimilate into the culture around them. And so Revelation is part challenge, and it's part encouragement as well. So maybe it's a little bit more relevant than we thought. Some of you are maybe feeling pressured in your faith. Some of you don't want to speak up. Some of you feel uncomfortable to share your faith. Some of you have been made fun of, maybe picked on at school because, oh, you're one of those kids that goes to church or reads the Bible. That was my nickname growing up as a pastor's kid, Bible Boy. And now I'm like, you can call me Bible boy I want, Bible dude, Bible bro, whatever you want to call me, because I love the Bible, right? But some of you have been persecuted for your faith. Probably a lot more of you, if you're like a lot of Christians, our struggle is that we tend to grow complacent. Earlier in the book of Revelation, John is writing to these churches, and he says to one in Revelation 3.15, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold, and I wish that you were either one or the other. Again, you had to be there, right? So John is writing to a culture where water came in different ways, and if water was very cold, if you experienced water and drank that, you could assume that it was from a stream coming down the mountains or the hills, that it was spring water, that it was clean, it was fresh, it was good. Or if you experienced hot water, chances are it had been boiled. It was ready for cooking, and so it was safe. And so you really wanted your water to be hot or cold. If you had lukewarm water, that was dangerous, so why would be being lukewarm, John used that analogy, for our faith? Because Jesus says, I want you to be in or out. I don't want you to be lukewarm. I don't want you to take this, this faith thing halfway. In the context of hope, how confusing is it to a world outside the church, to a world of people that don't believe in Jesus, that here we are as people following the one who is hope, right? I mean, you remember the old hymn, maybe some of you, all my hope is in Jesus, right? Well, we're not going to start a choir anytime soon, I'll tell you that. <laughs> all of my hope is in Jesus, and yet we don't live like it's true. How confusing is it to a world to be lukewarm and to say, well, I kind of have hope. I'm kind of worried about the end of the world. I lost a loved one. I don't have any hope anymore. 
Corinthians reminds us, we, even though we grieve, we don't grieve as those without hope. It's a powerful thing, and when we're lukewarm about that, when we're halfway, it's very confusing to a world around us. Don't go halfway with your faith. There's a lot of people that say, I, I like Jesus. <laughs> He's a good guy. He's a good teacher. He's got some good things to say. I'm going to post some of his sayings to my, my Facebook wall or on a plaque on my wall in my house. Jesus is a good guy. He's a good teacher. I like him, but I'm going to mix in Jesus with a few other things. Jesus is a priority, but there's a lot of other priorities in my life. Jesus was never meant to just be okay. The good news, the gospel of Jesus, of his death and resurrection, was never meant to just be okay news. It's not okay to just be okay when it comes to our faith and how important it is. There's a new uh, group of commercials that just came out, and we edited it up a little bit. So there's two 30-second commercials here back-to-back. When I saw these commercials, it makes me think of Jesus cautioning us not to be lukewarm. It's not okay to be okay. And here at Hope, we take God and his word very seriously, but we don't take ourselves too seriously at all. So just a friendly reminder, it's okay to laugh in church. All right? Let's take a look. Hey. Hey, how you doing? Uh, Phil, are you guys good with brakes? We're okay. Just okay? We got a saying here. The brakes don't stop it, something will. <laughs> That's not a real saying. It is around here. I wrote it. Just okay is not okay. Everybody all set? Oh, any recommendations? The salmon roll's okay. Just okay? Is it fresh? Sort of. The chef had it this morning. Unfortunately, he went home sick. But he left instructions with Kyle. This fish is raw. Do we need a minute? Yes. yes. Just okay is not okay. Just okay is not okay. I hope that that sticks in your mind. How much more so when we are talking about the greatest news in the history of the world? I don't know about you, but when I grew up in my dad's church, all of our Bibles that we had at the church on the front of them, do you remember, have you ever seen one of these? They say, good news Bible, okay? Because it's the greatest news in the history of the world. They don't say, okay news or mediocre news Bible. But sometimes we treat it like that. We can grow complacent. And John even writes later on in Revelation, don't forsake your first love. For some of you that have been following Jesus and been a part of the church for a long time, do you remember what it was like when you first came to faith and everything was new and everything was fresh? And the only thing that matters is that, that there was this man named Jesus that had saved you. And it was the most incredible news ever and you couldn't wait to share it with others. Don't let your faith become okay. It's life-changing, life-transforming news, and that's what John is writing here in the book of Revelation. Don't let the gospel become okay. Don't just blend into the crowd as some of the other believers were being tempted to do. Maybe Revelation is more relevant than we thought, especially when it comes to hope. Back to the movies and the stories that we love. Remember the two reasons that we identify with them. Number one is because it reminds us of the story we're living in. There's good versus evil, light versus darkness. And secondly, because in the end, all is made well. In all the stories that we love, a hero comes, rescue is available, the broken is restored, and the same is true of our story. And so when we're dropped into the middle of the story, just like Star Wars, we're dropped into the middle of a story that's already been going on. It kind of reminds us of this in Revelation chapter 7. So if you're in Revelation 1, flip over to Revelation 
7, and we pick it up in the middle of one of John's dreams. Remember, these are dreams and these are visions that Jesus is giving to John. And he's sharing them with us, and John is surrounded by angels in the, in the throne room of God, and there's these 144,000, they're called servants of God. And what do we know about them? They're servants of God, okay, so they've been faithful believers, but they're also possibly Jews. They're from the 12 tribes of Israel, so 12 groups of 12,000. Now, there have been books written on this one passage. Who are these 144,000? And we could do an entire year-long series on the book of Revelation. But most scholars will agree that chances are this is some sort of symbolic number used by John, that 12 is a perfect number in the Bible, and 12 times 12 is a symbol of perfection and completion. At the end of the day, these are all believers that are coming together. The, the number thousand was used to describe more of a generic multitude, just as if we're saying, I went to this concert, and there was just tons of people. I mean, there was gobs of people in the crowd. Sometimes John uses that imagery to say there was thousands or that a thousand number, and so you take a thousand times 12 times 12, and you get 144,000 to symbolize all of God's people. And we realize that because the very next thing, John says, I heard what seemed like 144,000, but if you read the text and he says, I turned and I saw something much different. And we read that in verse 9. Let's read that together. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. So what do we know about this? In other words, there's a lot more people at the party than John expected that God's family is a lot more diverse than we think. Those who will worship God, get this, for eternity, are people that don't look like you, are people that don't necessarily live where you do or talk like you do or, dare I say, vote like you do. I mean, people, there are going to be people worshiping God with you in heaven for eternity that aren't even Lutheran. I know it's so hard to believe. There might even be some Catholics and some Presbyterians there. I'm just kidding. God's family is a lot more diverse than you think. So as you look around and you see people that are totally different than you in church, God's preparing you for forever. God's family is way more diverse than we think, but it's important to remember for us as the church, uniformity was never the goal. Unity is the goal. In majoring the majors and the things that matter the most, we're a very diverse congregation at Hope, and that's a really good thing. But the surprises continue. Look at verse 10. And they cried out in a loud voice, all the multitude, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So here's our second promise today. Number one, God's kingdom is way more diverse than you think. And number two, evil and darkness will not have the final word. John's vision for the end of the world is here. And who's on the throne? A Lamb. Remember back in the Gospels, Jesus was referred to as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, right? That's how John the Baptist refers to them. So instead of a, a lion, which is a symbol of, of fighting and, and of battle and of war, that's been replaced by a lamb. The lamb, Jesus himself was on the throne, the lamb who was slain. So Revelation reveals to us how the story is going to end, that that great event that took place on Calvary, when Jesus died, that the, it means the cross that was meant to kill was our victory. That was D-Day. That was it. That's when the war was won. And we know that because the cross that was meant to be a symbol of defeat was transformed into a symbol of victory. Jesus was the lamb that was slain. 
And that means that sin, death, and the power of hell have been destroyed forever. And why does that matter? (laughs) Because sometimes it feels like the darkness is winning, doesn't it? Sometimes it feels like evil and hatred or, I mean, just watch the evening news, read the paper, scroll through your feed. Doesn't it seem like the darkness is winning sometimes? Doesn't it seem like death is actually winning? The war has been won, but the battle rages on. We had a gentleman in our congregation this past week pass away at the age of 44. Unexpectedly, 44. (laughs) Why does revelation matter? (laughs) Because the lamb is on the throne and we know the end of the story. And it's like Jesus is saying to John through the writing of revelation, just like Caleb said to me, it's okay. You don't have to be afraid. We've seen the end of the movie because Jesus has the final word. Cancer doesn't win. Your grief this holiday season doesn't win. Depression won't win. Anxiety, your battle with anxiety and depression doesn't win. Your loneliness doesn't win. Your past and your mistakes that you come with every weekend don't win. Why does putting your faith in Jesus matters? Because it's just like we saw in the gift of baptism this morning. Because what happens to Jesus happens to you. And if Jesus is sitting victorious on the throne as a conqueror, that means those of us who are in Christ will be conquerors as well. If you are in Christ, which is literally what it means to be a Christian, what happens to Jesus happens to you. And when you know the end of the story, that shines a light on where you're at in the middle of your story. There is hope. Right now, today, Jesus is with me. That's where our hope comes from. It's not, oh, have some cheer up, everybody. It's all going to turn out okay. It's not the power of positive thinking. It's the power of gospel thinking. And this is why revelation is anything but irrelevant. If anything, it brings a sense of urgency, right? Because eternity is going to be so good, because the end of the story is going to be so good, no more death. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more cancer, no more divorce, no more broken families, no more pain, no more heartache. Who doesn't need to hear that? There's a sense of urgency with that. I've got to tell more people. Who have you told recently? (laughs) Who have you invited recently? Who are you going to invite to hear the life-changing love, the story of Jesus Christ this Christmas? Who are you going to give one of those postcards to? Oh, it's okay, I'll be here. If it's important to you, the one thing the gospel cannot be is just okay. It either is or it isn't. And if it's changed your life, invite somebody into that. Don't let your faith become okay. Don't lose heart. Don't lose heart. Because sometimes we need to be reminded of that. And we get glimpses in the stories we love. Especially we get a reminder from our friends like Frodo and Sam. Yes, I know. I'm just bringing out all the epic movies today, all right? So if you don't like Star Wars, maybe you're like Lord of the Rings, okay? We get kind of equal opportunity here. So whether you're into the Lord of the Rings films or not, there's no denying they're telling the story of the story that we're living in. And at the end of the second film, this is the two towers, Frodo and Sam are sitting there and they're collecting themselves and it feels like it's ending. I mean, it feels like darkness is winning, like evil is winning the day. And just like us, they're waiting for the end. And just when they think they can't go any farther, they get this glimpse of of, of Middle Earth, the world that we're living in, and it's being restored. 
It's being put back together. There's streams of living water that are flowing into desolate places. Things that were once destroyed are being rebuilt. The world's coming back to life again. Old friends are reuniting again for the first time. It's like a glimpse of revelation. It's a glimpse of the end. Even though the story is not over, Sam reminds us, keep the faith. Keep the faith. Keep the faith. Let's take a look. And that's it, isn't it? That there is some good in this world, and it's worth fighting for. Not only some good, but it is a world that God is putting back together. The story of Revelation is not the story of a God who's going to destroy the earth. It's a God who's making all things new. Gospel of Matthew says, at the renewal of all things. A God who is putting the world back together. And so that's where our hope comes from. Not that everything is going to be destroyed and get worse and worse and worse, but that God is going to put everything back together. And the greatest news of all, he's inviting us into that. Do you remember how we pray in the Lord's Prayer? I mean, every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, we say this. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why would he have us pray that if he didn't want us to participate and helping being the answer to our own prayer. God is putting the world back together. Christianity is not about sitting around and waiting for an eternal church service in the sky. That's great that we will worship God forever. Christianity is about participating, helping bring heaven to earth now and expanding God's kingdom here on this earth and sharing the hope that we have. I wonder if we spend a little bit less time speculating when the end of the world is going to be, as scripture tells us, only God, only the Father, not even Jesus knows the date and time. What if we spend a little bit less time speculating on the end of the world stuff and a little bit more time inviting people into the kingdom of God? Sharing hope with the world that's in desperate need. And it starts with things as simple as, as Christmas gifts for families that can't afford it themselves. Why are we doing socks in Advent? Because in the kingdom of God, nobody should die because they don't have adequate footing, because they don't have socks. Nobody should catch a disease because they don't have something that simple. But this isn't just a one-time thing that we do around the holidays because it feels good and everybody's giving. This is who we are as a church. And you've caught a glimpse of that over the last couple months. Last fall, we, we began a giving campaign called Building to a Hope Beyond, and we did a recommitment campaign for that this uh, fall as well this November and we asked you to recommit your time and your talent and your treasure to doing just that to building God's kingdom here in Des Moines specifically for renovations and upgrades in this beautiful building uh, not new new to us building that we're going to be moving to on university and also to help pay down substantially our debt and so you've heard us, this vision is way bigger than just a new place to worship. This is a, a 24-7 mission center here in the heart of the city, a, a headquarters for people and agencies and organizations that are all on the same team that are trying to expand the kingdom of God here in Des Moines. And hear me say this, as I've said before, it's never been about growing Lutheran Church of Hope. It's about offering hope to those who need it the most. Amen? I mean, whether that's food or clothing or love or counseling or recovery or just human dignity. Imagine a church more committed to changing lives than expanding a brand. Imagine a church that doesn't care who gets the credit. And amazing things happen 
Incredible things can happen when we don't care who gets the credit. That's the vision that we've been sharing with you, that we're be- you're being invited into. That's the vision that you gave to a few weekends ago before Thanksgiving as you brought up hundreds of these commitment cards. Those of you that are new, getting on board with the campaign for the first time, learning about God's view of money for the first time. And as you brought those cards up, you also brought up these rocks that we gave to you that symbolize this, the opportunity that you have for impact. And you wrote a word or a phrase on those rocks, and then you tossed them into the water up here. To make, to make ripples, to be a ripple-making church and to make that impact. And we said, well, we can only make a little impact if it's just us, but as we say at Hope, we're better together. And if we put all those rocks together, it's almost like, it's almost like we have this giant rock. And I, and I put this giant rock and I threw it in the water and it gave this huge splash. I think some of you reaffirmed your baptism that day just with the amount of water that came out. I mean, just it was a huge impact. It was a huge rock. Well, folks, I'm telling you, we're going to need a much bigger rock than that because the impact that you have made is so much bigger. A few weekends ago, in one weekend, you gave an additional $214,391 to this vision of changing lives in the city of Des Moines. Praise God. We can give God praise for that. Absolutely. You add that to the gifts from last fall, and that's over $1.3 million, $1,366,594, and every single one of those matters given to this vision just in the last 12 months. And the reason I'm excited about that is because of your generosity. We are well on our way to paying off our debt completely in the next couple of years and being in this brand new 60,000 square foot building to make an impact for the kingdom of God. Praise God for your generosity. Praise God. That is awesome. So let me simply say thank you. Thank you for being an incredibly generous and faithful church. And whether it was coins, which always gets me, because they matter. Whether it was is coins or dollars or hundreds of dollars or thousands or tens of thousands of dollars, what matters more than the amount is that you gave generously and sacrificially out of the joy of your heart. And just as a, I am excited about those numbers, I mean, that's a big deal. That's well past our original goal that we set out, well past it. I'm also excited about the hundreds of cards that were brought up where we asked you to share your, your time and your talents. So our finance team went through and, and uh, blacked out all the financial information that, that we never know, that I don't know. But I wanted to see the time and the talent. And a lot of people wrote notes on here. I just wanted to share with you a few of my favorites. I mean, it's very clear. Those of you who are connecting what you do for a living and your gifts and your skills with something that can be used in the church. There's, there's a stay-at-home mom says, maybe I can start a, start a, a group for moms, a life group for moms so that, that I'm home. Maybe I, another person said, I love to cook. Maybe I can make food as a part of our meal ministry. It's also become clear to me that this church is full of carpenters and painters and designers and dozens of you that are more than eager to help with the renovations this spring, and you will be needed, and we will let you know that very soon. But a few of my favorites that I wanted to share with you, um, here's a couple that wrote this. We just started, this is in November, we just started coming a month ago. <laughs> they came right as we started the campaign. So welcome to Hope. Give us your money. Um, we started coming a month ago, and we are compelled by this mission. Count us in. Another family, this is a fun one. They said a part of our gift is coming from our 14-year-old. And they told us the story. They said, to be honest, we weren't planning to give. 
we didn't think that we were going to do it. And then our 14-year-old came to us and said, can I add in of my, some of my own money that I've saved in with your money that you're going to give? And they're like, this was the most beautiful Holy Spirit conviction that we've ever had. So God said, maybe you should give. And so our gift is joint, us and some from our 14-year-old son. And still another family said, this is our first time giving to a campaign. We were away from church. We drifted away from the church for many years. And then they said, this has brought us so much joy. And there's dozens of cards that basically to the effect of we're all in. And that shows the heartbeat of this church, that it's never been about money, it's about the mission, and it's about living now in light of eternity. It's about what Sam reminded us of in the video clip. There is some good in this world, and it is worth fighting for. We're not playing church, we're not going through the motions. God is doing something here, and you are invited to join that movement. We are, it's worth fighting for, and we don't fight with weapons or with hatred or with violence or with anger. We fight with the love, the life-changing love of God. We fight with compassion. We fight with service to be a church that's known way more for what we're for than what we're against, to be a church that's making a difference in the community and sharing the life-giving love of Jesus Christ. We don't have to live our lives. We don't have to read Revelation in fear or worry about the future because our fear doesn't stand a chance in God's love. That's the heart of Revelation, that there is a God who loves you more than you will ever know, who created you to live with him forever. Don't miss that invitation. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and sing about the love of God together. Let's worship.